Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the host of a special investigation series of Maryland Behind the Icon during the 60th anniversary of the star's death, where we'll look into the mystery and break down for you, the audience, of what the facts are versus the lies around the star that have been plaguing her for over six decades. We have some of the top Maryland experts with me on the panel. Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, lifetimes in films of Marilyn Monroe, and April Via Via, now Chambers, Marilyn Monroe, A Day in the Life, and Donald McGovern, Murder Orthodoxies, a non-conspiracy view of Marilyn Monroe's death. Each week, we will break down for you what is fact, what is probable theory, and what is outlandish rumor. So let's get started. Last week, we were talking about Norman Mailer and how that started the rumor mill and build upon the birth of the rumor mill. This week, we're talking about a very important person that actually ignited it on fire. And that gentleman is Robert Slatzer. However, before we get started, We're going to do a little bit of a recap so you understand how the dots are connected. So, Don, tell us how Norman Mailer and Robert Slatzer are connected and how their paths interconnect. Well, when when Mailer appeared on Johnny Carson's show uh, in 1974, he was given the business by Carson because Carson felt like Mailer had done a very superficial job with his Maryland biography. And Mailer admitted that he did not actually investigate Maryland's death. But in this program, he mentions Robert Schleitzer and mentions that a new book is about to come out, which has been written by Schleitzer. And Schleitzer did all of the investigating that Mailer never did. But in fact, Schleitzer didn't investigate Maryland's death. He lifted everything from Frank Capel's pamphlet. <laughs> Everybody's uh, stealing everything from everybody else, isn't that? Yeah, it's interesting very incestuous, point? isn't it? It is. It definitely is. So let's frame up for the audience that may not be familiar with who this person was. Gary, tell us who Robert Schleitzer is. Well, he was a man with a very unattractive toupee who made a career out of Marilyn Monroe. Gary, Gary, Gary. (laughs) Keep it going. According to what I've read, Gary, according to John Gilmore, he also wore a very obnoxious aftershave lotion. I would not doubt it. High karate (laughs) is my guess of what it was. So long before Robert Slatzer published his book, really backing up the truck to 1952. So he was a journalist from the Columbus Dispatch. So he's out of Ohio and he goes to Buffalo during the production of Niagara in 1952. And he has some pictures taken with Marilyn. And then he gets her to pose for him. And then he uses these photographs as an opportunist and exploits Marilyn by fabricating claims about a relationship with her for the next five years. So where he appears is in Dorothy Kilgallen's gossip column, The Voice of Broadway. There's some reference that she makes in August of 1952. And about what does she what does she say about him? Because this is really interesting. I want to tie this into what we started with in the series. 
She says that he is the dark horse in Monroe's life who has been sent, corresponding with her, sending her recommendations of books to read. And he has this like intellectual connection with her after having met her on location. And so this seems to be a setup for her going on vacation and Slatzer penning her column, either one or two issues of the column. So what Slatzer probably did as someone self-promoting himself was to tip her off as a gossip columnist on his connection to Monroe. And now he's writing for her syndicated column across the United States. And he uses his time on her column to discuss his correspondence with Marilyn. And he describes a very intellectual relationship where he's recommending books to her and her thirst for knowledge. And, and that's about as far as it gets. And Gary, in the panel, we started this series off and we're going to still continue to break it down with Mark Shaw's book, Collateral Damage, making the claim that Dorothy Kilgallen and Marilyn Monroe were friends. So we've already debunked that. They might have known each other. They might have been acquaintances, but they certainly weren't friends. That's a real important, I think, key component when you look at Robert Slatzer and his ability to get a lot of press. And the fact that he doesn't appear in any of Monroe's address books. But one of the things that I find just mind boggling back then, if you could get a lot of press and you could be believable, like those press shots and stuff, but when the internet was born, all of this stuff really started to come to light. And this was really believable. People were believing that Robert Slater was making this claim that he was married to Marilyn Monroe. And then to come to find out that there's no way that they could have been married. April, talk to us about that. So when, you know, Slater claims that they were getting married down in Mexico, Marilyn is actually at Jack's of Beverly Hills buying pants. I mean, his stories are just so asinine. And then you jump forward to 57 and that's when he first starts claiming um, a romantic relationship. And this is obviously when she's married to Arthur and apparently she and Arthur are both horrified by all of this. And then he just kind of falls off the face of the planet, but he picks back up again in 1972 because he's pushing a book that he's written called Sincerely Marilyn Monroe. And no one wants to touch this book. Uh, he submits it to the Venice Publishing Company. He actually gets in a bit of a legal spat with them because they won't return his manuscript. But in 1973, February 15th, to be exact, a contract is drafted up. And in this contract, it is agreed that Frank A. Capel Will Fowler, who is a publisher, and Robert Slater are going to write a book called The Marilyn Monroe Papers. And this book is split between the three of them. I have the contract right in front of me and it says, we will share equally one third each all advances, royalties and responsibilities in regard to publication and or use in all media known or unknown at this time. Yeah, it's a pretty standard contract. And the very end, it says Robert F. Slater will receive full credit for the writing of this work. Frank A. Capel and Will Fowler's names will remain secret in regard to this work. So this is the contract that all three of them sign. And the agreement with it is Slater will write pages and he will give them to Fowler and Fowler then sends them off to Capel 
who makes a bunch of edits and writes it further. I wouldn't say that this is Capel writing this book. He, it's just another book that he's writing. It's just his name's not on it. Wow. That's the book that we end up getting. And that's Slater's first book. It's this book that's written between the three of them. Um, Fowler eventually drops out of the deal, although he gets pretty far with it. But he eventually just isn't involved with it anymore. He claimed that he started not to believe Slater based off of their communication. I would say that's probably not true. I would say it's probably more likely that he got pinched out of the deal somehow. But regardless, Capel is all over this book. And that's who probably writes at least half of it. And what year is this? This is 1973. 1973. Okay. So, so now there's this book that comes out. There's these rumors of these men throughout the sixties and now early seventies. Don, do you have anything you want to add in this portion of the story with Robert Slatzer? Based on the documents that I got from Will Fowler's collection, Fowler was promised a considerable amount of information from Slatzer, including notebooks, correspondence that he had received from Maryland. In fact, there were supposed to be interviews that uh, Slatzer had conducted with Maryland, but he never provided that information to Fowler. And that was the reason that he said he backed out of the deal with Slatzer and uh, Capel because he didn't get the information that he wanted. The original contract was signed between, strictly between Fowler and Slatzer. And Slatzer recommended to Fowler that he should borrow liberally from Capel's pamphlet, but he did not want to credit Capel. Wow. And Fowler claimed that he told Slatzer that that was plagiarism and that they should invite Capel into the group to get involved in writing the book. But uh, I don't have any doubt that Fowler left. He might have been pinched out, but I think he also left because he came to disbelieve Slatzer's stories. The main thing though, just on that, Fowler claims that he left earlier than he actually did. I mean, he sees this book through the finished manuscript and the cover art. He's there towards the end. He claims later that he left earlier in the writing process. Well, it also sounds like he was distancing himself given the fact that whether he left early or late, he was trying to distance himself from the project. Yeah. And he, and he does that. I mean, really, he does that until it basically he dies i mean he's writing to joe dimaggio in the 90s wow um, asking joe to refute slater's claim so yeah he, he definitely distances himself he got but, a note from joe dimaggio a handwritten note which was in his papers that for dimaggio said he never met uh, robert slater and of course slater claimed that he and joe had a confrontation one night when Marilyn had double booked them for dates that's the but thing. This guy refuted is... that he didn't even know who Slater was until the book appeared. Marilyn Monroe didn't know who he was. Gary, I think I even asked you this before. If Marilyn Monroe were here right this minute, would she think that Robert Slater was a stalker? What would you say to that, Gary? Yeah, definitely. He was a stalker. And, and I think Richard Allen, who was her co-star in Niagara, described him to John Gilmore as a stalker on the set. The other cast 
members and crew were kind of appalled at how he was just fluttering around her. And of course, Marilyn was a good soul and she would pose for pictures with him. And probably her biggest mistake was taking that picture where she's cuddling with him, you know, which she did with her fans. And so he used that as evidence that they were married. But, you know, when you read this book, we don't know whose voice it really is because so many men are involved in writing it. It's like Cyrano de Bergerac, right? (laughs) So, you know, but he claims to be present at all of Monroe's major life events and he's privy to all of her intimate thoughts and feelings. And, you know, it seems more like a need for structural continuity for his book than any kind of real experience. And I remember reading it at one point, and what struck me was a foreword by Whitey Snyder, Monroe's friend and cosmetologist, and he kind of vouches for Slatzer. And I think that kind of gave Slatzer the credibility because Snyder was a real friend of Monroe's from the 40s until her death. And he and his family. Well, why would he do that? Well, um, Peggy Wilkins, who about 25 years ago had one of the first online Monroe groups for those of us who were on the internet back then in the 90s, she had <laughs> she had interviewed him and questioned him. And he said that he had been offered a payment for it and he just was touched by Robert Slatzer and maybe didn't quite understand what he was going to be writing and agreed to put something down in writing. He felt like his interest in her was sincere. And even though he never heard of this man, that he would vouch for him, which was a big mistake, actually. It made this man seem more credible. But, you know, in all of those who've interviewed people who knew Monroe, there's no record of Robert Slatzer being in her life. And I really encourage people to look for that May 1957 Confidential Magazine, which is really deplorable. And if he had any association with Monroe, which he could have on a very casual basis through correspondence, Monroe would have been appalled and probably would never have talked to him again with that story. Something about the man who kind of made it on the couch with Monroe. It's really like a disgusting piece, like a tabloid He also claimed he had a sexual encounter with Marilyn uh, when she was filming Niagara. Wow. He has a lengthy chapter about when he went to Niagara to visit Marilyn, and they had rooms next door to each other. But he also claimed that he uh, dated Gene Peters. He lived in fantasy. This man lived in fantasy. And I believe that at some point he began to believe that the lies that he told, he wanted to believe these things desperately. Layers of pathology. We could go on and on um, examining this man. There's a lot more to uncover. As you can tell, this man lies. He loves the press. He knows how to work it. And he knows how to work how he fits into the Maryland story until we really start to find out that he's actually a big liar. So I'd like to thank the expert panel. We will continue our conversation on Robert Slatzer in the next episode. I'm Nina Bosky for the Behind the Icon investigation series, The Truth Will Be Known.